welcome to Worldview, a foreign affairs podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Chris Dooley. Thank you for calling the White House. Unfortunately, we cannot answer your call today because congressional Democrats are holding government funding, including funding for our troops and other national security priorities, hostage to an unrelated immigration debate. Due to this obstruction, the government is shut down. That's the message you would have heard if you'd phoned the White House at the weekend. But a prolonged shutdown of US government activities was averted on Monday when Republicans and Democrats in the Senate reached a deal that paved the way for negotiations on one of the signature issues of Donald Trump's presidential election campaign, immigration. Suzanne Lynch will tell us more in a moment. I'll also be speaking to Derek Scally about the seeming never-ending political stalemate in Germany. But Suzanne joins me now from Washington. Um, Suzanne, before we get on to the immigration issue, which I, I guess will dominate the political agenda for the next few weeks, can I ask you first about this deal on Monday to end the government shutdown? Who do you think blinked here? Was it the Republicans or the Democrats? Um, well, as you, as you said there, the blame game really took place here all weekend as each party was blaming the other. But I think really um, in summation, I think the Democrats may have suffered a little bit more than Republicans. Essentially, um, Donald Trump said on Tuesday in a tweet, he said the Democrats have caved. And I think a lot of people, even in their own party, uh, think that they they effectively shut the government um, for three days. It really in exchange for what it's for a commitment uh, to look at the immigration issue. But really, nothing has been written in stone on that. And then Mitch McConnell, the Senate majority leader, said it was his intention to look at this issue. Um, so I think the Democratic Party itself is getting a lot of pressure internally from within its own ranks, um, members on the on the more left side of the party uh, are furious that they feel uh, that the Democrats should have held out for more on this. Um, but then you had a split that people on the in the centre and maybe people who are competing in states in the midterms that were won by Trump, they're very conscious. They're a lot more cautious. They don't want to see to be to be seen by their voters as obstructing the government. Of, of being responsible for shutting shutting it down all because of undocumented immigrants. So I think it's quite interesting that this dynamic of Chuck Schumer, the head Democrat in the Senate, has perhaps opened up all kinds of problems for himself within the Democratic Party. And that message we heard from the White House at the beginning, I mean, it was a kind of very effective, you know, sending out the, the message that it's the Democrats' fault. It seems kind of remarkable, though, doesn't it, that when you have a Republican-controlled Senate and House and a Republican president, that they still managed to put the Democrats in a position where mm. they were going to carry the can if the government shutdown had continued. Yes, of course. And the issue is, this is why it's so, I mean, shutdowns happen pretty regularly, but this is the first time when one party controls all levers of power in Washington. In saying that, um, the Demo- the Republicans only control 52 of the 100 seats in the Senate. So they don't have what's called a supermajority. A lot of legislation, you need 60 votes and they don't have that. And this is what happened in this case. So they did, in fact, need Democratic support. But in saying that, in a situation like this, really, Republicans, both the leadership in Congress and the White House, should have made sure that they were bringing Democrats on board uh, with this. Um, there was a real sense, I think, here last week that this caught everyone unaware. Nobody thought that they were heading to a shutdown. Um, there was no sense that this was imminent on last Wednesday, Thursday, and right into Friday, there was a sense, oh, they'll sort this out. Uh, and they didn't. So, yeah, I think there is a lot of blame there on the Republican leadership in particular for not bringing Democrats with them um, and not making sure that they were on board to vote for this by maybe offering something like, as, as, as has happened, a commitment to do something about the Dreamers, the undocumented immigrants. And so the, the, the government funding is guaranteed now, at least until February the 8th, to allow time for the negotiations on these immigration issues. You mentioned the Dreamers there, which I think is probably mm. the most prominent one. Can you, can you remind people who the Dreamers are and why their yeah. status is such a hot political issue? 
So dreamers are the name for people who were brought to the Amer- to America by their parents when they were children. So undocumented immigrants here, but through no fault of their own, if you like, were brought to the U.S. It's estimated that about 800,000 people are dreamers here. And President Obama introduced legislation called DACA that essentially protected them from deportation. Last autumn, Donald Trump said he was abolishing this and he gave Congress six months to come up with a different kind of solution. And that's why they're rushing now to get a deal on DACA, because that deadline is coming up in early March. They have to do something in Congress. Now, Democrats in particular are obviously um, very much supportive of finding something to protect these dreamers. But a lot of Republicans are, too, and a lot of the public are behind this. Um, Polling shows that up to 80 percent of the public, no matter what their political affiliation, does want to do something for these young people that were brought here as children. So there's a sense that in the Senate, at least, uh, there are certain Republicans who are prepared to work with Democrats on finding some solution for DACA. The problem is that now that this has opened up, it also has to go through the House of Representatives, bigger chamber, and that's a more conservative chamber. You have a lot more right-wing, hard, hardcore, when it comes to immigration, uh, Republicans in the House of Representatives. And the fear is that they will not be on board uh, to vote for something in favor of DACA. So this has opened up a real headache now for Paul Ryan uh, the Speaker of the House, who's going to have to try and bring his party in. And in particular, this kind of hardline wing at uh, the Freedom Caucus, they're known as about 40 uh, Republican members of the House uh, that campaigned, you know, that are very much anti-immigration. So that's going to be a difficulty for him now. And do we know where exactly um, the President Donald Trump stands on this issue? Because you mentioned there he cancelled the, the DACA, the Obama era sort of protection for the Dreamers. But at the same time, he, he hinted around the same time that if Congress didn't come up with a permanent solution, he might yet, you know, step back in. So he was kind of sending mm. mixed messages, wasn't he, at the time? Absolutely. Um, even as he announced that he was abolishing this in the autumn, he said very soon afterwards, well, I want to do something for these kids. And um, he has indicated that, you know, instinctively, emotionally, if you like, um, that Donald Trump actually is in favour of doing something for these DACA people. Um, in saying that, as always, he's always got his eye on the polls and the midterms coming up, and he is trying to keep his base happy. And there's a real sense that some people close to him, for example, John Kelly, the chief of staff, Stephen Miller, one of his chief advisors, they are taking a hardline position on immigration. And you can almost see their thinking reflecting reflected in some of his statements that seem to contradict what he said himself. Um, so but I think what the key issue will be that even if Donald Trump encourages his party to do something on DACA, the key issue will be what will he get in exchange? And and this is the problem that perhaps the Republicans will look for, for example, funding for the border wall and also support in getting rid of the visa lottery program. There are two other issues that are in the mix here as well. So the question now for Democrats is what are they read willing to give up in exchange for a deal on DACA? And again, that is why it does seem at this point that Republicans are in a kind of stronger negotiation position. Yes, it's feasible that they might move and do something for Democrats on DACA. But the question is, what will uh, Democrats have to agree to in in exchange, particularly the border wall, which will not go down well with a lot of the more uh, left-wing members of the Democratic Party. And tell us something more about the visa lottery programme, because this is something of particular interest, I think, maybe to Irish people, because there are a small number of Irish people who will be affected by mm. by um, changes to that or any kind of cancellation yeah. of it. Yeah, so the visa lottery programme, this diversity visa, um, people may be familiar with uh, the US offers this literally a lottery programme every year. And I think it's 50,000 uh, um, are, are allocated each year. Now, Ireland gets very, relatively few purely by size, because of the size of the country, but maybe around 150 each year um, are given uh, these visas. But I suppose the point is 
that yet again, it looks like if it's not going to be abolished, well, then in some way it's going to be curtailed. So maybe one argument is that maybe half of the visas will go to countries like Ecuador and Haiti. Um, and there are others will be for everybody else, including Ireland. So the number, the pot will go down further. So I think there's another example, immigration activists are saying, another example of how the, the paths to get into the United States are, are very, very narrow and are, are, getting, are, are getting smaller for Irish people. So I think what we're going to see now in the run-up to St. Patrick's Day is a real push by the government, not only to uh, look after the undocumented Irish, the tens of thousands or 10,000 plus people who are living here in America without um, without documentation. But also, uh, equally important that I think doesn't get enough uh, coverage, it's also to try and uh, get new visas for Irish people who want to move to the US. As everyone is probably familiar with, most young Irish people now go to Australia, New Zealand, Canada, uh, rather than America. So um, the, the Irish officials here in the embassy, the Irish government, they are keen to get what's called E3 visas. This was given to Australia, and basically it's a, a kind of working visa renewable every two years that allows people with certain qualifications to come to America to work. So that would be the ideal scenario for Ireland. Whether they will get something um, ahead of St. Patrick's Day is another issue. Obviously, there's so much in the mix here on immigration, but it is important. I think it's significant, the timing that now immigration is coming into focus here, just as um, the Taoiseach uh, prepares for his visit. And, and this week we see John Deasy, the, the Taoiseach's appointment as, as US envoy. He's in Washington as well, also meeting with people on the immigration issue. And what role, Suzanne, do you, would you see Trump playing over the next few weeks? I mean, it's, it's the focus will be on Congress now, but these are really important issues for him. Do you expect to see him playing mm-hmm. an active role or is he going to stand back and sort of hope that the parties can sort it out? Yeah, it, 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 it's been a very interesting uh, weekend in that Donald Trump was uncharacteristically quiet over the weekend. He he was supposed to travel to Mar-a-Lago to celebrate the first anniversary of his inauguration, but the shutdown forced him to stay in Washington. But apart from a few minimal tweets, uh, there were no, no public statements from Mr. Trump on this. And on Monday, when the shutdown, when the news emerged uh, from Capitol Hill, the shutdown was being averted. Uh, the press secretary, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, just read a, a calm, um, factual statement from the president. Now, there was some tweets, as I say, but he's really been keeping a low profile. The suspicion is that really a lot of his, some of his advisors and a lot of Republican members of Congress are quite happy with this. They feel that Donald Trump if he gets involved, may stir things up too much and may actually jeopardize it, some kind of deal being done. On Friday, he invited, Trump invited Chuck Schumer, the top Democrat, to the White House, had a meeting for 90 minutes, but really no deal, you know, emanated from that. So really, um, I think that Republicans are quite happy keeping out of it at the moment. But as this goes on in the next few weeks, we're only talking about two and a half, three weeks, um, and this immigration issue has to be sorted. We may see him coming back into focus Um and we may see certain factions of the Republican Party trying to get his ear, as it's a, a, in a sense, and um, particularly those more on the, on the right who are going to be wanting support from Trump on this, who are going to be very reluctant to do something on DACA. And Suzanne, will this issue dominate now the agenda over the next few weeks, or are there other things we should be watching out for in, in Washington? You know, um, you know Trump, it's, he's, there's been a lot of talk about the first year of his presidency. That's just mm. finished now. What are the other major kind of items that are coming down the tracks in yeah. the next short while? Well, I think I think we need to keep in mind the Mueller investigation is, is ongoing and various members of the White House team are being uh, questioned by the various House committees. Whole picks. We saw Steve Bannon last week. So that is continuing to happen there in the background. But we're probably going to see some measures on trade. This week we saw uh, the White House SAP tariffs on uh, imports from China and South Korea, certain imports. That, that's, that's significant. And it could be seen as Donald Trump, again, kind of reestablishing his America first roots 
uh, particularly since the departure of Steve Bannon and that very public split between the president and his former chief strategist, there has been um, there has been speculation: Is Trump going to move away from that kind of economic nationalism that 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 tr- that Bannon designed essentially and that helped elect Trump? Uh, but I think with these trade measures this week, this is an indication that he has not abandoned that, and that we may see more of those kind of um, economic protectionist measures coming from the White House in the next in the near future. Suzanne, thanks for that. And next to Germany, where a four-month-old political stalemate moved one step closer to resolution on Sunday when a conference of the Social Democratic Party, led by Martin Schulz, voted narrowly in favour of entering coalition talks with Angela Merkel's Christian Democrats. But there is still no guarantee that Germans, who voted in a general election last September, will have a new government anytime soon. Our Berlin correspondent, Derek Scally, joins me now. Derek, everybody who wants to see stability return to German politics sooner rather than later heaved a sigh of relief on Sunday when the SPD voted to open talks with, with Angela Merkel's CDU. But it's still far from clear, isn't it, that a deal can be done here? Indeed. I mean, this is a bit like that 1980s film, The NeverEnding Story, and Angela Merkel is in the starring role. I mean, for anyone who's um, lost interest or who's been struggling to keep up, I mean, what's happened is uh, we had an election in September 24th and it was inconclusive. The two big parties were basically punished by their electorate. Uh, they had the worst results since 1949. And since then, Angela Merkel has been struggling to put together a government. And the trouble is uh, that the first attempt failed in November. And the Social Democrats are her, basically her last uh, coalition partner. They're her final hope. And they're very unwary about going into coalition with Angela Merkel because every time they do, they say the voters punish them at the other end. So Angela Merkel has been wooing them back to the table. They put together a preliminary agreement uh, two weeks ago and at the weekend, the party uh, delegates were uh, voting on whether they thought this was the basis for uh, proper coalition talks, formal coalition talks. Uh, and uh, after a rather emotional debate, 56% of them said, OK, go ahead, start the coalition talks. And, uh, and that's what we had on Sunday. But we're not quite there yet because the, the, the formal talks will begin. And at the end, there's going to be another vote. And this time it won't be delegates. It's going to be every member of the Social Democratic Party. So that's almost half a million people. And they're going to be voting in a postal ballot. And so rank and file will have the final say over whether or not their party, the Social Democrats, join the German government. And in effect, they'll be ruling on uh, whether or not Angela Merkel has a political future in uh, Europe uh, and in Germany, which is quite an extraordinary state of affairs. Germany has been in, uh, in sort of limbo since September. Uh, and we're not probably going to have a coalition deal before Easter. And all of this is hinging on half a million Social Democrat voters. And Derek, the party's youth wing in particular is, is, is campaigning vigorously to, to stop the party from going back into a coalition with Angela Merkel, isn't that right? Yes, the, the left and the, the left end of the party and the youth wing, uh, who are also rather left wing as well, they say, look, there's really no point in going into government with Angela Merkel unless we get what we want. They've been in power with her twice before, and the voters have always punished them afterwards and said, you didn't really do enough for the working class, you didn't do enough for the left the traditional voter base. And they say, look, we have Angela Merkel where we want her this time. She has no other options except going into government with us. This is the perfect time to extract some painful compromises. And uh, they're not quite confident that the party leadership has done everything they could to get what they want so that they have a credible profile in government. And uh, that's why they're saying we're not going into government again. And Derek, how influ- influential is the left of the party with the party with the broader party membership? Are they capable of of, sw- of swaying the broader party membership around to their point of view? In other words, not going to government. 
Well, I think it's fair to say they're, they're, uh, they're a smaller group within the party, but what they've managed to do is pull off quite a sensation. Uh, the vote was 56% in favour of talks uh, on Sunday, but that means 44% against, and that's far beyond uh, what they would be considered. They would be considered to have like about a quarter or a third of the party base. So they've gone beyond their traditional base. And what they're doing now is they're recruiting, they're trying to start, uh, recruit new members to the party because anyone who signs up as a Social Democrat member can vote in the, uh, in the final, have a final, have the final say on the coalition agreement. So they're aware that they're in the minority, but they've already pulled off quite a coup by getting 44% of people to back their side. And what they're hoping is that um, either they will put, by this, they will put pressure on the Social Democrats to go into the coalition talks and really put pressure on Merkel to give them some more concessions on things like um, they want to, to, there's a two-tier health system in Germany, and they say this is very unfair. If you're well-off, you can buy your way to the top of the queue. They want that abolished. Until now, Merkel has said no. But maybe with this leverage that they have now, they're saying maybe you should push a bit harder for that. And there's also a big row about immigration and refugees. You remember the refugee crisis in 2015, 2016. Um, the, The conservative end of Merkel's party have been putting pressure to crack down on immigration. And this goes against everything the Social Democrats say they stand for. So again, the left wingers are saying they want one of two things. They either want real social democrat politics, left-wing politics, uh, visible in Berlin, and they want Merkel to agree to that. And if they don't get that, uh, and if their party leadership don't get those compromises from Merkel, they say, we want to walk away, we want to go back to opposition. And in opposition, we can do a lot more of sort of the, uh, we can put a cold slam on our head and really think about what is social democracy? How do we um, how do we appeal to voters? How do we deliver uh, for our voters in, in the era of globalisation, Donald Trump and the rest? There's a lot at stake here, Derek, isn't there? Not just in terms of the future direction of Germany, but perhaps of the EU also. Well, this is this is the thing. This is the staggering part about this standoff in Germany, that Germany is sitting sort of staring in a navel-gazing and the rest of Europe is, is on pause. And um, there's been a huge push by the new French president, Emmanuel Macron, to reform the EU and try and get some momentum into the EU that is still sort of in shock after the Brexit vote, he says, look, we can't wait around for Brexit. We need to push on. The world isn't waiting for Europe. We need to reform the EU, in particular the Eurozone. He's been waiting since September for a partner in Germany. You remember for years, Angela Merkel was waiting for somebody in Paris to work with. Uh, And now uh, we have somebody dynamic in Paris, and he has nobody in Berlin to talk to. And without France and Germany, the European Union tends not to go anywhere. So the rest of the Europe is sitting back, twiddling their thumbs, waiting for Germany to get its act together, which is quite an extraordinary sense of uh, state of affairs when you remember how how dominant Angela Merkel has been in the last few years. Uh, At the moment, she cuts a rather sad figure. Uh, she's starting to look quite tired, as you can imagine. She's been negotiating non-stop, first an election campaign and then negotiating in and out and collapsing coalition partners all around her. So her fate isn't really in her own hands anymore. And I think that's new for somebody who's been so dominant for so long, for a dozen years in German and European politics. And what do you think she'll do if agreement can't be reached? Is, is minority government an option or is there another election inevitable? Um, she has said to, now, to date that she doesn't want a minority coalition. Um, they've never had this uh, at federal level in Germany. Um, people have said, well, look, it works well in Northern Europe. We have a similar, we have a kind of a minority government in Ireland. Why not? Um, and uh, so she, uh, to now, up to now, she said she doesn't want this. But the question is, is it really about what she wants or is it what's good for the country? Because the only other alternative is 
elections and most parties their coffers are depleted after the last election and the only party really looking forward to the possibility of a new election is the extreme right uh, alternative for Deutschland, alternative for Germany. They think uh, if they have a fresh election they can go back to the people and say look the mainstream parties uh, are uh, they're just messing you around. They aren't able to agree. They're just playing politics. Vote for us. So there is a danger if they go back for fresh elections that the extreme, the right wing uh, fringes would be strengthened. So she has options. She can either go for a minority government, which she claims she doesn't want. She could go for fresh elections or she'd have to give the Social Democrats some more concessions. And uh, the trouble there is, uh, on the other side, uh, there's a third party I haven't mentioned. They're the Bavarians, the um, Bavarian uh, Christian Social Union. They're a sister party to Angela Merkel's party. They've got elections in the autumn. They're pushing their conservative profile and uh, the notion of giving extra concessions to the left just to get them back into government, that's going to be tough for Angela Merkel. So she's got two diametrically opposed parties she's trying to form a coalition with and neither of them wants to budge. So we've got some uh, interesting weeks ahead. And Derek, just before I wrap up, I have to give you some credit here because we, we had a discussion, you and I, just after the election in September, which delivered an, an inconclusive result. And you said this whole, you told me this whole process could drag on to next Easter. Um, I, I didn't believe you then, but I believe you now. Is there any kind of timetable or target date set for a deal to be done here? Well, it's funny enough, it is Easter. Um, the resurrection of Angela Merkel will or won't happen at Easter. And um, quite appropriate for a woman who's a pastor's daughter. Um, and it's, uh, that's, that's, I mean, we're, we're already up to four months, so it'll be six months. Uh, Europe's largest country, Europe's dominant economy, which I should incidentally say is actually ticking over just fine without a government. Um, so, uh, But that will be out of action for half of a year. And, and that's all going well. If something something untoward happens, uh, Angela Merkel decides she's had enough or uh, the, they go back to the polls, uh, you know, anything could happen. So I think what we're seeing really is, uh, if you want to be optimistic about it, is Germany politics entering mainstream. They're moving to a next stage where they either have to embrace something new like a minority or a, um, a similar arrangement to what we have in Ireland, um, where the government has uh, several budgets, uh, breathing space to, to, to do policy, or else they'll just have to go back or they'll have to start looking again uh, at new style politics. And I think that's the big issue that I don't think either, none of the big parties have realised here, that they really, their support is dwindling. It's been dwindling for years, and now they're struggling to actually do real politics because most people are very worried. They're worried about their jobs. They're worried about, is globalisation really the best solution for everybody? They're worried about security. Uh, they're worried about, do they need more Europe or less Europe? And none of these parties are really uh, honest giving deep thought to this. They really want to try and preserve the status quo. And I think what we're seeing now is the struggle to preserve the status quo when the world around them is changing radically. So perhaps this is just a birth pangs of a new, a new style of politics in Germany. Well, Derek, let's see what happens over the next few weeks. Thanks a lot for that today. That's all for this week. For more on these and other stories, go to irishtimes.com. Thanks for listening. Goodbye for now.